0: You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. As well, you can hear these podcasts at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. There are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, which are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of Collected Works, Volume 121 by Rudolf Steiner entitled The Mission of Folk Souls, 11 Lectures, translated by Joanna Collis. This is Lecture 4, given in Christiania, Oslo, June 10, 1910. If we wish to understand the interrelationship of the human races, which are the foundation on which the different peoples come into being, we will have to bear in mind that individual human beings as we know them today, indeed we ourselves, are beings of great complexity who have been created in our present form and nature by the collaboration of many, many cosmic beings. We know from the Akashic Chronicle and from other considerations concerning the evolution of humanity that our earth had to pass through three conditions before reaching the condition in which it now finds itself. During the course of those three conditions The three members of the human being known as the physical body, the etheric or life body, and the astral body were, one after the other, prefigured and then developed to their present state. Only now, during the present incarnation of the earth, has the human being become capable of receiving a fourth member, an I capital. These four members testify to what has taken place during the three or rather four incarnations of our earth as Old Saturn, Old Sun and Old Moon, and now as the earth itself up to the present time. If you call to mind all the beings who work together during those incarnations, the spirits of will or thrones, the spirits of wisdom, the spirits of motion, the spirits of personality, archangels and right down to the angels, and, standing above the spirits of will or thrones, the cherubim and seraphim, then it will be clear to you that only a very complicated collaboration could have made it possible for the present-day organization of the human being to arise. As we have seen, not only was the cooperation of many beings and nature forces in the cosmos necessary for the creation of the human being, But during certain periods, some beings had to renounce the normal course of their evolution and remain behind in order to intervene in the human organization in a different way from what would have been possible had they followed a normal path of evolution. Thus, when we seek to comprehend the human being as he is today, we find a richly varied and many-patterned tapestry. Only by examining this tapestry closely and distinguishing between the activity of the several beings can we understand how the human being came into existence through their collaboration. The most important being for human development today is the one who has enabled us to address ourselves as I, having gradually given us an awareness of our own I. And we know that the beings who have made this possible are the spirits of form, those beings whom we call powers or exousiae. It is these beings in their normal development who have endowed us with our eye organization. This implies that it accords with their own nature to have as their chief interest the endowment of the human being with his eye. But This task of theirs can only bear fruit properly in the life of an individual once he has reached a certain age. If you remember what spiritual science has to say about the education of the child, you will know that it is principally the physical body that the human being develops between birth and the change of teeth around age seven. The spirits of form have no particular interest in the development of the physical body since this is really a recapitulation of what human beings underwent during the condition of old Saturn, one which has often been repeated and which from the most recent physical birth up to the age of seven has for the time being been recapitulated in a particular way for the last time. The second seven-year period of life, from seven to fourteen, the age of puberty, is also a period which holds little interest for the spirits of form, since it is a recapitulation of what the human being underwent during the condition of old sun. Parenthesis, the spirits of form are waiting for the opportunity to bestow the eye on the human being during the condition of the earth as it is now. Close In the third seven-year period, from the 15th to the 21st or 22nd year, comes the development of the astral body, which was first developed in the normal way in the old moon condition and has since repeatedly been redeveloped. Again, the normal spirits of form show no interest. Thus all three life periods that precede the actual birth of the I, around the age of twenty, are of no direct interest to the spirits of form. From their own inclination, so to speak, they only intervene from the twentieth year of life onward. Thus it need not seem strange to be told that as far as they are concerned, there is no need for the human being to exist until he has reached his twentieth year or thereabouts. In the eyes of the spirits of form, all that has developed up to this point has been a kind of embryonic state, a sort of germinal condition. Speaking figuratively, I might say that the spirits of form who have developed normally would far prefer it if everything were to proceed like clockwork, with no one interfering in their handiwork. If there were no interference in the work of the spirits of form, then human beings would have a consciousness appropriate for the physical body during the first seven years of their development. This would be a very dim kind of consciousness rather like that of the mineral kingdom. In the second seven-year period, from the ages of seven to fourteen, they would have a consciousness like that of sleep. And from the fourteenth to the twentieth year, there would be intense inner activity resembling that of dreaming. Not until the twenty-first year, having thrown off this consciousness of the old moon time, would the human being wake up properly. If he followed the normal course of development, therefore, he would only then awaken to I-consciousness. Only then would he step outside himself and see the external world in the form that is familiar to us today. If we consider what the spirits of form intend, it is clear that the human being attains his present-day consciousness much too early, for as you know, this consciousness awakens in him to some degree soon after birth. The human being would not develop this clear and distinct perception of the external world if other spirits, who are actually spirits of motion, had not remained behind and renounced the development of certain capacities, which they could otherwise have acquired by the time of the earth condition, in order to intervene in human development in a particular way during our present earth condition. Because their evolution followed a different path, they are in a position to bestow upon a human being what he should not acquire until his twentieth year or thereabouts. Thus these are spiritual beings who have renounced the possibility of following their development up to the earth condition in the normal way. They are spiritual beings who could have been spirits of motion during the earth condition, but who remain behind at the stage of spirits of form, and now work in the manner of spirits of form. Thus they are able, during our earth condition, to bestow upon the human being, who is by no means mature enough to receive it, and still has much to redeem from earlier times, the I-consciousness that in the normal course of development would be his only around the age of twenty. In this way he is entering into life and receiving from the abnormal spirits of form certain capacities which otherwise he would not be receiving until around his twentieth year. The consequences of all this are highly significant. Imagine for a moment what the situation would be like if these abnormal spirits had not intervened. In that case, human beings would be incarnating on the physical earth in the state that is natural to them around their twentieth year. They would have to be born as physical beings after first undergoing quite a different kind of embryonic development. Indeed, these abnormal spirits of form bring it about that human beings are already in the physical world from birth onward up to their twentieth year. This amounts to about one-third of our life on the earth. Thus the first third of our life on the earth is not governed by the spiritual beings who rule our present earth condition, but by others who are abnormal. And because these abnormal spirits participate in evolution, we human beings do not possess the form we would have if we were to be born in the condition appropriate for us at the age of around 20. Human beings have to pay For spending the first third of their life, up to their twentieth year, under the powerful influence of these abnormal beings. The whole period of growing up is spent under the influence of the abnormal beings. And the penalty for this is that after the middle third of life has run its course, which is basically under the influence of the normal spirits of form, a downward trend sets in, a decline in which the etheric and astral organizations deteriorate. Life, therefore, is divided into three sections, or periods, an ascending, a middle, and a descending third. We are only full human beings during the middle part of our life on earth, for in the final third we have to give back what we received during the first ascending third. We have to repay our debt. If human beings had been wholly subject to the influence of the normal spirits of form, then everything that occurs today, up to the twentieth year, would have had an entirely different complexion, a totally different form. The situation would have been entirely different. Instead, everything associated with our development today, during the first of the three periods of our life, is fundamentally an anticipation. Of much that belongs to the later periods. It is because of this that, up to the second period of their life, human beings are more material than they would otherwise have been. They would have undergone only spiritual conditions, and would have descended to the present state of material density only at the period of development they undergo in their twentieth or twenty first year, at which point they would have found themselves bound to the earth. Spiritual science tells us that if such a development had gone ahead, human beings would only have descended to the earth in the condition they now reach at twenty or twenty-one. They would not have been able to undergo the preceding state on the earth, for that period would have had to take place above the earth in the sphere surrounding it. The whole course of human development, through childhood and adolescence, should now be clear to you as a diagram, this straight line, B to C, represents life on the earth, and the spirits of form would have intended the human being to incarnate only at B, the age of twenty or twenty-one. He would only have reached the earth at this point, and, after his fortieth year, he would have ascended again, in order to spend the final third of life in a spiritual state, But the abnormal beings pushed him to descend to the earth at point A in order to begin life there. That is the mystery of our existence. Only in the middle third of life are we wholly under the influence of those beings who would actually be our guides, whereas the periods of our initial development and subsequent decline are taken care of by quite other beings who, in one way or another, have renounced their normal development. If everything had happened that did not happen, if human beings had spent the first and last thirds of their life elevated in the sphere surrounding the earth and had incarnated only during the second third, thereby becoming entirely different beings, they would not be as earthbound as they are today. If that had happened, all human beings walking the earth would be alike in physical form and inner being. A single humanity would exist. The middle third of a lifetime does not contain what gives human beings the specific characteristics of race that are now expressed in them. Through the circumstances of our earlier years, through the influences of the first third of life, we are, with all our forces, more earthbound than the normal spirits of form would have intended. Human beings have become more dependent upon the earth than they would have been. They have become dependent on the locality where they live. Because of their premature incarnation, in opposition to the intentions of the spirits of form, so to speak, they become dependent on the locality of their birth because they unite with their physical environment in a condition not intended for them. If they had come down to the earth only during the middle third of their life, it would not have mattered whether the locality of their birth was in the north or the south, in the east or the west. They become dependent on the earth and involved in everything that belongs to the geographical locality where they are born, through spending their youth as we have described. They cannot escape the environmental conditions of that locality, the incline of the sun's rays, the proximity of the region to the equator or to a more temperate zone, whether they are born in the lowlands or on a high plateau. For one thing, the way people breathe depends on whether they are on the plains or among the mountains. Human beings, then, become entirely dependent on the earthly conditions in the locality where they are born. They become totally identified with their native soil through this close association with their birth locality. They are governed by the attributes they receive from the forces of the earth that exist at the place of their birth. All these factors determine their racial character, and it is by this means that the abnormal spirits of form Those spirits of form, or powers, who give human beings their present awareness of the earth at times other than the period between the 21st and 43rd year, bring about the racial variety of humanity across the earth, depending on the location at which a person is born. During the period when the human being is under the dominion of the abnormal spirits of form... He also develops the ability to reproduce his own kind. This reproductive capacity is acquired during the period when he is not wholly under the direction of the normal spirits of form. This brings it about that in addition to being dependent on the locality of birth, the human being can also pass on to his descendants the characteristics gained on account of that dependency. So racial identity expresses itself not only as a consequence of influences pertaining at the place of birth, but also through heredity. This explains why race can be passed on, and we shall come to understand why spiritual science shows that it was only in the past that racial characteristics were determined by locality. This was the case during the latter part of the Lemurian Age and in the early Atlantean Age when human beings were directly dependent on their earthly environment. Later on, race was no longer associated with locality, but came to be bound up with heredity. In race, therefore, we see something that was originally associated with a particular geographical region. But later on, humanity reproduced itself via heredity and became increasingly independent of a particular locality. The period of evolution, when one can justifiably speak of the idea of race, will be clear to you from what I have just said. One cannot speak of race in the true sense of the term before the Lemurian Age, for it was only then that human beings began to incarnate on the earth. Before that they lived in the spiritual environment of the earth. Once they came down to the earth, the racial characteristics were hereditary, from the beginning of Atlantean times right up to our own post-Atlantean epoch. We shall see later how in our own time the characteristics of different people are preparing in their turn to break down racial characteristics and begin to eradicate them. We shall talk about this later, but meanwhile we must avoid seeing evolution in the form of a perpetually revolving wheel for this idea which is widely canvassed in many mystical worldviews serves only to confuse the true picture of evolution if we picture evolution as a wheel revolving around a fixed center and divided into so many races then we fail to grasp that everything is in a state of evolution and that races are evolving too races have come into being and they will at some future time cease to exist. They do not repeat themselves in the way that Sinnott mistakenly claims in his title Esoteric Buddhism. We must look for the origin of racial characteristics in the old Lemurian age. We must follow their propagation down to our own day. But in doing so we must realize that when our fifth post-Atlantean epoch is superseded by the sixth and seventh, race as such will have ceased to exist. But if we picture evolution as the mechanical, steady, continuous revolution of a wheel, we are filling our minds with a kind of millstone and have not the slightest understanding of what really takes place in the world. Thus, races began to evolve during Lemurian times through the activity of the abnormal spirits of form, who allow the forces of our earthly planet to intervene at the locality where a human being must spend the early years of his life. And this influence is carried over to some extent into his later life, because he is endowed with a memory that enables him to recollect in later life the time spent on earth in an abnormal way before his twenty-first year. The human being would be entirely different if he were subject only to the normal spirits of form, but he is dependent on the locality in which he lives because of the abnormal spirits of form. The deviation from the laws of the normal spirits of form arose in the way characterized above, so that the locality in which a person lives in a particular incarnation becomes significant. What I now have to say will clarify these circumstances further. It is the soil, the ground beneath us, which sends its rays up into the human organization, in a way that makes us dependent on this soil beneath our feet. In this connection, it is possible to point to certain specific points on the earth that are linked with the historical development of the human being. We shall discuss these conditions in detail later, but for the moment I will describe them in a general way. And there's a diagram. Here, for example, is a point in the interior of Africa. The forces emanating from the earth here influenced the human being, especially during early childhood. Later on, this influence diminished. The human being was, then, less influenced by these forces, but what came from them, nevertheless, imprinted itself on him in a powerful way. Thus, this point on the earth, where the human being lived, worked most powerfully on one in earliest childhood, and it thereby determined for their whole life those persons who were dependent on the forces to such an extent that the particular locality impressed the characteristics of their early childhood lastingly on them. This was then more or less typical of all those who, in respect of their racial character, received the determining forces out of the earth at this particular point. What we call the black race was substantially determined by these characteristics. If we now cross over to Asia, we find a point on the surface of the earth where the formative forces of the earth impressed the specific characteristics of later youth or adolescence lastingly on the human being and thereby determined his racial character. Such races are the yellow and brown races of our time, and moving from east to west, We find a point on the way from Asia to Europe which lastingly impressed on the human being the characteristics of the years following early youth. Here he was not influenced by the earth's forces in childhood, but just at the moment when youth was making the transition to the next stage. In this way the human being was determined by the forces emanating from the earth. When we look more closely at these separate points, we find that in sequence they draw a remarkable line, one which still exists today. The center in Africa corresponds to those terrestrial forces which imprinted on the human being the characteristics of early childhood. The center in Asia corresponds to those which gave him the characteristics of youth. And the corresponding center in Europe imprinted on him the characteristics of maturity. This is quite simply a universal law. And since all human beings in their different incarnations pass through the various races, the fact is that contrary to any claim that the European has an advantage over the black and yellow races, none is inferior to the others. Although the truth may sometimes be veiled, you see that spiritual science can help to throw light on some noteworthy facts. If we continue the line still further westward, We come to America, where the forces that lie beyond the middle third of life were active. These forces, and I beg you not to misunderstand what I am about to say, for I am referring only to the human being insofar as he was dependent on the forces that determine his physical organism and not those that are related to his fundamental being, these forces are very much associated with the decline of the human being the forces belonging to the final third of his life. This line, which describes a curve, obeys a cosmic law and does indeed exist. It is a reality and expresses a law according to which our earth acted upon the human being. The forces, which determine racial characteristics, follow this pattern. The American Indians did not die out simply because it pleased the Europeans that they should do so but rather because they had to assimilate forces which led to their dying out. What has happened on the surface of the earth in connection with the races has been determined by what is found along this line of centers and is caused by forces that did not come under the influence of the normal spirits of form. These forces worked in this way in connection with racial characteristics, but in our time racial characteristics will gradually be overcome. The first steps in this direction were taken in the earliest period of the earth condition. If we were to go back to the old Lemurian age, we would find that the very first indications of racial development can be traced back to the regions of present-day Africa and Asia. Later, a migration westward set in. And as we follow westward, the forces that determined race, we can see them ebbing away among the American Indians. Humanity had to migrate westward so that the races could begin to fade. In order to seek rejuvenating forces, humanity had to journey eastward in the migration from Atlantis via Europe to Asia. Then the westward migration was repeated, but this time we witness not the movement of races, but as it were a higher stage of racial development, namely the development of cultures. For in a certain way the development of cultures can be seen as a continuation of racial development. Think of the ancient Indian culture for which we have already expressed great admiration during these lectures. This first post-Atlantean culture is the age that corresponds to early childhood, in which human beings are still asleep as regards their appreciation of physical nature, while their souls are receptive to revelations of a spiritual world. This first Indian culture is indeed a revelation from spiritual heights. And it could only work down into human beings because they were under the influence of India's terrestrial forces, to which they had already been subject in the very ancient past. In the primeval past, human beings owed their physical racial characteristics to what streamed up from the earth, And now, in repeating their presence in the same part of the earth, they experienced the characteristic of the ancient Indians, which was more like a soul quality. The migration from west to east led to the rise of a youthful freshness, which made it possible for the remarkable spiritual configuration to arise, which characterizes the original Indian culture. Thus a very ancient Indian culture Which has not yet been studied, and of which the Indian culture known to science today is only an offshoot, can be explained by the fact that the Atlantean culture was repeated in a special way in the original ancient culture of India. When we consider the successive cultures of the post Atlantean period, we can see that they represent successive recapitulations of external circumstances that were experienced earlier through the physical body, but have been entirely transformed through the forces of rejuvenation. In ancient Persia, we see a culture that is connected in a certain way with what we could refer to as the permeation of a human being who is in the first flush of his life forces, where he is still subject to the influences of the abnormal spirits of form with the forces that stem from the normal spirits of form. In the Persian culture, this confrontation is depicted in the awareness of the duality of light and darkness, of Ormuzd and Ahriman. The further we move westward, the more we see how the characteristics of a more mature age are impressed upon a culture, while we have to admit that even up to the present time, what is created by human beings is still to a large extent dependent on the abnormal forces and beings of the universe, we can nevertheless understand that as they move westward, they are no longer exclusively influenced by characteristics of race. We can also understand that the trend of culture as such is accompanied by a decline in its youthful freshness the further westward it goes. To the unprejudiced observer, a variety of factors serves to show that our contemporary culture, too, is determined in this way in accordance with a fixed law. But people are not inclined to be objective. If you bear in mind that in reality all culture is in a state of flux, you will come to realize that the further we move westward, the less productive a culture becomes. As a culture, it becomes moribund. The further westward one goes, the more does a culture flourish only in external ways, ways that are not vitalized by the forces of youth, but are given over to the forces of old age. Thus in the West, humanity will still be capable of achieving great things in the realms of discovery and physics, chemistry, astronomy, and anything that is not dependent on the refreshing powers of youth. But whatever calls for creative energy... Will require a different configuration of the forces that affect human beings. Take the example of a human being growing up from childhood to the stage when his spiritual life begins to blossom. Initially, he develops physically. The forces concentrated in a small space in a child must be allowed to expand physically. Thereafter, what forms the human being is pressed inward and the same applies to humanity in general. The curve of development we have already described reveals a remarkable law that applies even to the continents. We see the original starting point of physical human beings in Africa, thereafter the territory in which human beings developed expands far afield. Characteristic of this expansion are the wide open spaces of Asia, where human beings inhabit vast tracts of country. Let us now look at the repetition of race development in the post-Atlantean cultures. Just as in their youth human beings look with curiosity at their environment, so did those of the ancient Indian culture look around them in the world. This is associated with the fresh, youthful forces that help them grow until they reach their full stature, when the spiritual life must begin to unfold and the physical must be compressed and it is noticeable that as civilization advanced westward into Europe, the geographical area that humanity inhabited became narrowed down to smaller and smaller lands. We observe that Europe is the smallest continent, and the further humanity moved westward, the more it strove toward a process of compression. Human beings set out for peninsulas surrounded by the sea and were drawn ever closer together. All this is connected with the spiritual course of evolution. We have here a unique insight into the mysteries of spiritual evolution. With this narrowing of the geographical area in a westerly direction, a critical situation arose. On account of this crisis, a more unproductive element began to operate. In a certain way, creative activity dies out to some extent in the peninsulas the further westward one goes. This impoverishment is illustrated in what I have already described, namely that culture itself, the further it moves westward, becomes progressively more rigid and senile and slowly declines. This has always been known in the mystery schools. You will now understand why I said that what I wanted to communicate to you might be somewhat fraught, since people might take offence. And it will be a long time before everything can be revealed that would enable the human being to gain independence with regard to the higher realms of his being, so that he may perceive the terrestrial forces that determined race, that later on determine the character of cultures, and that still later will lose their significance once humanity has returned again to the spirit. Thus, you will understand that the whole process of human evolution is linked with the spiritual evolution that has always been known to those who were initiated into the deeper secrets of existence. The truth of this does not depend on whether one approves or disapproves. It depends on evolutionary necessity. To deny this necessity is pointless. It merely serves to put obstacles in its path. Therefore it is only natural that those who migrate to regions lying more in a westerly direction should seek rejuvenating power, spiritual substance, from the East, and that Central Europe must call to mind its own creativity as it existed before the formation of peninsulas. This is why especially in Europe, I mean that part that encompasses the area we share, Scandinavia and Germany people must draw on the resources of their own soul life. And why, in contrast, we must look to the West to find that part of humanity that is to receive something from the East. These things are deeply rooted in the nature of all earthly humanity. You can see this being repeated even in the development of theosophical thought. We also witness it in the fourth post-Atlantine epoch of culture in the Romans and Greeks. Of course, in some ways, the Romans were more advanced than the Greeks, yet they took their spiritual life from the people they had conquered, who lived more toward the east. The law demonstrated by this becomes ever more relevant the further westward a country lies. It is really only possible to hint at these great truths. They show us the inner character of our mission in every corner of the globe. So, you see... We must reach an understanding of what we have to do in order to rise up to the level of what is common to all humanity. Herein lies the great responsibility we must take upon ourselves if we wish to involve ourselves in the overall progress of humanity. As far as the overall progress of humanity is concerned, we cannot allow any personal sympathy or enthusiasm to play a part. These are of no consequence, Only what is determined by the great laws of humanity is decisive. We must recognize this from out of those great laws themselves and not allow ourselves to be prejudiced in favor of one thing or another. This is indeed the fundamental characteristic of Rosicrucianism as a whole. Rosicrucianism implies acting in accordance with the evolution of all humanity. If we are aware of the configuration of the landscape we inhabit, right down to the formation of islands and peninsulas, then we shall realize what sentiments must fill our hearts if we are to work for the benefit of human evolution as a whole. In the remote past, human beings descended to earth under the guidance of the abnormal spirits of form and became bound up with their own particular geographical region. That is how the foundations were laid for the development of the races. After that we see a progressive intermingling of races taking place. Then we see the development of peoples arising out of the development of races. And we see how the development of peoples intervened even in the development of the individual human being. A great mystery is expressed in the question Who was Plato as regards his external being? and his participation in humanity as a whole. He was an individual who entered into the lineage of Solon, was a member of the Ionian tribe, the Greek people, and the whole Caucasian race. The realization that Plato was a descendant of Solon, an Ionian, a Greek, and a Caucasian, expresses a profound mystery if we understand the law behind it. It expresses the mystery that shows us how the normal and abnormal spirits of form, whose major concern it is to bring human beings into the earthly realm, worked in concert over the whole earth. It is expressed in the way this cooperative activity brought about specific divisions within humanity, in which those other beings intervened of whom we have already spoken when describing the characteristics of the several peoples. Every individual human being is intimately associated with these processes by which all those higher beings, those higher spirits, determine the evolution of the world by their cooperative activity. We cannot understand the individual if we do not see how he owes his whole development to the cooperation of these beings. It was because a Caucasian race was once created on our earthly planet through the mysterious collaboration of the spirits of form who had undergone a normal development with those spirits of form who had been through an abnormal development, that the stage was set for the incarnation of an individual such as Plato. And because we are aware of the intervention of the abnormal and normal archangels right down to the angels, we realize the steps that were necessary to bring forth a Plato, whom we recognize as a human being with a human countenance endowed with attributes of thinking, feeling, and willing specific to him alone. A people occupies an intermediate position between the race and the individual. Having now outlined the conditions fundamental to the evolution of race in general, we shall tomorrow consider the emergence of peoples out of races and also the intervention of other spirits of the hierarchies, and especially their intervention in the activity of the spirits of form. The end of Lecture 4